Welcome back to Guy Gab, the podcast for those who believe men can be better by acknowledging and sharing their emotions. Or in my case today, better at acknowledging that I have a little bit of a cold. Anyway, as we head into 2020, most of the conversations about men at the workplace is about hashtag me too, harassment, and inappropriate relationships. But notions of masculinity also impact how men lead their teams through tough business crises. Today, we're going to be joined by Dan Weber, general manager at Edelman, a leading communications firm, to talk about how men deal with crises at work and what is the best Disney movie of all time. Let's gab. Dan, thanks for joining us at Guy Gab. I, uh, I came to D.C. so our listeners could hear from you. Uh, given that the Nationals beat my hometown St. Louis Cardinals, uh, there is no other reason I would come to D.C. other than to visit with you. <laughs> Good to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Go Nats. Mm, all right. We will still continue with this, even though you said that. So we always start with the question, why do you think it's important for men to strive to become better? Sure. I, it's a great question. I think this is a, it's, um, it's a really good topic, too, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be on the podcast and to chat with your, um, your listeners. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in a family uh, with uh, three brothers, so um, this was an interesting discussion. I, I'm, I'm also a, a father of three kids, two of which are, are, are young girls. So it's been an interesting journey for me as a dad to start to understand a little bit more as my role as a dad, uh, my role as a man um, in, in their lives, and, and, and also as a manager now professionally um, with a team that's majority women, uh, to be thinking about how do I get better? Um, not just as a man, but how do I get better? And for me, it's three things that really kind of boil this down. Um, uh, growth, opportunity, and joy. Um, growth in the sense that I need to always be humble enough to know that I'm not going to be the smartest person in the room for everything. There are certainly things I've studied and uh, spent a lot of time uh, professionally becoming a master of um, through just experiences and, and things of that nature, but there's always going to be a learning opportunity. And it, particularly in the world of crisis, even if I've done something a hundred times, there's no, no, there's nothing that's always going to be the same. So it's a constant pursuit of acquiring new knowledge, uh, acquiring new experiences and understanding the realities around me. So I think that's, to, to me, that's all helping towards growth and being, being better as you asked. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is around opportunity. Um, the, the very nature of working to be better uh, creates opportunities. If you are just sitting back and resting on your laurels or um, resting on using the past experiences, uh, that might give you opportunities in some direction. But I, I have found growing up in an Air Force family, uh, working in an agency for 15 years, working in the crisis field for, for 10 years, that if you're constantly pursuing excellence, you're constantly trying to get better professionally and individually, personally, that at every turn, there's new opportunities. Whether you choose to experience them or go after them is a different story. But that's, I found patterns in my life. I get more opportunities when I am trying to be better and I'm trying to pursue more excellence. And then the third thing is joy. 
I, you know, I, it, it's hard to have achieved happiness. I think it's a constant pursuit every day, every year. And it's a hell of a lot more fun when you are looking at, at things every day to say, how can I get better? Um, give me some feedback, please. Whether it be from my spouse who probably hates hearing that, like, how can we do this better? <laughs> uh, professionally with clients, um, with team members, colleagues, even with, with um, friends and family of how can we keep doing this better? Um, because you, you look for the next thing and that creates a lot of joy of knowing that there is going to be a next thing and that we can keep refining it and, and, and through that, whether it be optimizing it or whatever, it, there is joy. Uh, and I think that that joy is something that is, is one of my goals every day is just, did I find joy in today? Even if it was a tough day, uh, it was a day that beat the hell out of me. There's joy there. And I think that that's something that I'm, I'm really excited about. So yes, um, it's a great question. Growth, opportunity, and joy are the things that kind of come to mind when you talk about getting better. Really appreciate you sharing that. And I've seen that firsthand um, for all of our gabbers out there. Um, I, as, as Dan and I work together as uh, me as head of marketing at Citadel, um, Dan, as, a, as I mentioned in the in introduction, uh, a senior leader at Edelman. And I have always been so impressed with seeing you your team. Now, maybe you're maniacal when I'm not uh, seeing it, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I've seen all three of these things with your team um, firsthand, how you, uh, you try to grow from, from learning from them, even those who are more junior, um, the, the opportunities that you've provided to them, and the laughs that we have together um, as, a, as a partnership, even during really tough times. So um, I, I've definitely gotten growth opportunity and joy from working with you. Good. <laughs> and um, you know, we're, we're going to now explore um, what I'm describing as a crisis of crises, where it is difficult into days, day and age to, to deal with um, the crises that we have at work. Mm -hmm. And um, you really want to learn from you how, what our tendencies are as men, and as men and women, um, when crises happen in the professional workplace, um, and how we should deal with it. So, uh, as you know, on uh, on Guy Gab, uh, the way that uh, our listeners uh, uh, learn from us is through a, a story I'll tell, mm -hmm. and then um, Dan, you'll you'll opine on it, and you'll tell me where I did wrong, <laughs> and uh, hopefully did some things right. Um, so a number of years ago, I worked for a big consumer company, and one of the responsibilities I had was overseeing social media monitoring. We had a situation where a number of people were complaining about how the company was negotiating um, with these people, their businesses, um, the third parties. And they were essentially saying that we were negotiating in bad faith. Um, thank goodness we had a documented playbook for how to deal with um, these types of responses. Um, something I know that you um, uh, that you recommend to 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 clients. So I copied and pasted our approved responses and just tweeted away. And uh, I went home that night with a level of peace of mind and probably watched my favorite movie, Wally. Great movie. I I think it's the best love story since When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> But we'll, we'll argue about that on a sure. different podcast. <laughs> the Disney one. <laughs> yes. So I woke up 
the next morning and I did not have peace of mind. Sure. There was backlash to the response that I put out there, um, essentially saying that this was a corporate shill um, trying to placate the community. Uh, so what did I do? I just sat on it. I didn't um, uh, bring in other colleagues um, for a while. There was two reasons why I just sat on it for a while. I had this first thought that I will be blamed for these negative conversations online. The second thought I had was, as a man, as a professional, I should be able to figure out how to solve this problem without asking for help from others. So Dan, what did I do right? I'm, I'm sure, or what did I do wrong? I'm sure you're going to say it was completely perfect, right? <laughs> well, I would say, first of all, I, um, I would put Incredibles over Wally. Um, but that's, that's the, for that other conversation. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do a top 10 list of Pixar Disney. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy professionally in the craft of crisis management is you, at the highest level for some of the most sophisticated um, challenges and for some of the most impressive organizations and individuals who run those organizations, there you get to see a glimpse of the most basic elements of humanity and the most basic elements of um, our culture, culture as a country or a nationality, culture as um, organizations, enterprises. And it's so fascinating because in that moment, a lot of the stereotypes come out. Um, based off of the, the culture that they're representing or their upbringing, the individual's upbringing. So some of the things you talked about in terms of sitting on it because of the blame is fascinating because if you study crisis management, you see that play out in all sorts of fashions, not men or women, but the, you know, I think there are some stereotypes where you see that more often. Um, I see things play out in phases very quickly and I try in our playbooks and preparedness activities and trainings, but also in a rapid response environment to move through these as fast as possible. Typically we see four things play out. Individuals and companies or organizations first go into denial. It, there was a screw up. It could have been a, a screw up of a person, right? Uh, negligence of an individual. It could be a screw up of somebody. It's somebody else's fault. We didn't do this. That's of course we wouldn't do it. Then it goes quickly into anger. Anger at an individual, anger at self, anger at others. You're looking for the bad guy. You're looking to cast blame on somebody else. Then you, you, you think about bargaining. You know, how can I, maybe, I, maybe we pay someone off, maybe we settle, we, well, okay, well, it's just going to go, whatever. You know, the, the bargaining piece uh, almost always uh, comes into play. And then the, the, the final stage is depression. Do I need to hand in my resignation? Uh, woe is me. Um, it plays out in a lot of different ways, individually and also as an, as an organization. All of those things typically have to happen before you get to acceptance. And I think there are individuals, there are organizations, there are cultures that are better at get about getting to acceptance faster. Because when I look at crisis management, I try to get to an understanding as quickly as possible what is the problem? And then once I know what the problem is, I then look at the, inf the influencers or the, the contributors 
around the problem that are going to create asymmetrical challenges or asymmetrical crises. So the, the challenge here wasn't the fact, that wasn't your response from what I understand. The problem was what the people online were complaining about or engaging around. You then happened to have a response that either could make it better or worse. And in this case, it sounded like it made it worse. Yes. And so what you're saying, what I've heard sometimes, and I, I heard after this was, uh, sometimes we have a communications problem. Sometimes we have a business problem. Right. And I think that's what you're describing, that we have to separate right. and understand. And if you have a business problem, you need to solve the business problem first. Inherently, you can make it worse by communicating poorly. And that's typically what happens. And I think most rational people will give you the benefit of the doubt on the business problem or the existential crisis of, you know, uh, uh, something blows up, you get a, a cyber attack. They are waiting to see how you react. In almost every crisis situation I've been in, the, 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 indiv- the, the, the catalyst problem isn't, oh, isn't as bad um, if you respond to it well, whereas if you respond to it poorly, the catalyst problem obviously becomes a huge nightmare. So we, we focus more on, especially at Edelman, studying trust. If you respond well and you are a trusted organization, trusted individual, then people are going to give you the benefit of the doubt or they're going to at least listen to you as you're explaining what you're going to do to solve the problem. If you're not trusted, then you know, you're going to be questioned from, from the get-go. And, and if, you're, if you fumble your response, they're going to question you from the get-go. So back to your individual situation, there, are st- there were a whole bunch of stereotypes that played out there from what I heard. You know, uh, as a man, I should have known how to do X, Y, or Z. I, I can't comment on that. I see that happen all the time in, in organizations that might be, uh, quote, unquote, more stereotypical men situations or what have you. I just think that if you go back to some of these basic principles of are we, are we getting to acceptance faster? And when I listened to your challenge, I thought a lot about, I heard a lot of eyes. And I'm thinking it's, that wasn't like JonathanBlank.com or Jonathan Inc., right? You were representing a company. Yeah. You were presumably part of a team. So if you got to acceptance fast and you were in a cultural, cultural environment that was safe, that allowed you to be yourself, that uh, focused on continual improvement, and you were in an environment where you were operating as a team, then it would have been a, a, a probably a different response where you, you as a team member un- identify the, the problem, flag it immediately, start providing recommendations on how to solve the problem, solicit feedback from subject matter experts, go through that kind of constant review, analysis, and scrutiny, take action after getting approval, and keep doing it until it's resolved. And then on the back end say, what did we learn from that? That would have been a whole different environment. That's often driven though by the culture of that organization and the culture of the individuals who who make up that organization. That's the piece that I look at quite a bit of are we diagnosing the problem? Are we getting to acceptance fast? And then what's that cultural environment? And that well, a lot of times we are, we're looking at that when we come into an organization from a rapid response perspective of, are they looking to uh, find the villain, uh, the pe- person who screwed up, or are they really trying to learn from that experience and get better and listen 
to the community that's reacting, their stakeholders, so that they can keep getting better. It's a great reminder, and it goes beyond just the workplace. Um, I'm um, the, the the next guest, uh, um, uh, so stay tuned in two weeks for a meditation teacher, um, and he he reminds me um, a lot that um, a lot of times what gets in our way is our ego, the, what he calls the small I. Um, so absolutely what you're saying of when we think so strongly and are so attached to, to I mm-hmm. and think that, um, that these, that these emotions that are coming at us, that are being projected at us are really a reflection of who we are or who I am. Um, that that's when a lot of trouble comes about. So I'm going to make a commitment here and now to uh, refer more to we. And, um, and so for, for, um, for our work together, I, there's going to be a lot more emails where that go back and forth and say, here's how we are doing. Yeah. I we think should. you do that quite a bit already and you're very good at it. I, and what I'm talking about yeah. is it's, it's aspirational in some regard. And it, it, the, it's different all over the place. You, you might come into a team and see that the team is uh, very homogenous. Um, uh, and these, these differences are reflected across uh, cultures, uh, like nationalities and things like that, uh, generational. Um, and I think it's so important to, this is why diversity, inclusion, full representation within teams is so important is so that you you can create a culture that allows for uh, um, uh, bringing in lots of different perspectives, but it's really important for the leader of that group, but all the participants to be thinking about is it a, a, a continuous improvement type of team? Uh, or is it one, you know, we talk a lot about meritocracies, which are, are important in business environments, but are they, are they set up in a, in a way that is safe, where, where we can be bringing the best of ourselves to learn, to grow, to contribute um, in ways that provide value and impact to the business or organization that we're, we're, we're working for. If we're not creating that environment, then I don't really think you're ever going to get the best of them. And then in a crisis situation, you are certainly not going to get the best. Uh, you might be looking to put out the fire and then move on to the next thing. But what you, what you will probably have seen is that you're not going to emerge stronger than, than the, the situation or, or how you entered that situation. Really good organizations, really good teams often emerge from crisis situations stronger, better, more focused. They're transforming and evolving the, the way that they think. And typically they start to see a stronger reaction from their stakeholders of, uh, of trust to say that this is an organization I want to be part of. I want to, I want to give my money to, or I want to, I want to apply to whatever. So I want to go to a word. I want to go back to a word that you've used a number of times today, word safe. I think it's so interesting. It's not a word that you often hear in the list of values from a company. You don't often hear we're a safe company to work at. Um, is that would you agree with that statement um, that companies have have not really um, taken this on as a a value, even though you've reinforced how important it is to get the best out of uh, employees? Is that is that something you've seen or or not? I don't. Not necessarily know if I've ever seen a company say uh, we create a you know we create a safe workplace environment. Maybe I, th- I think you may we might start seeing more of that. Um, 
whether it be physically, emotionally, whatever you're starting to uh, kind of, as things play out, you know, in society, you're seeing an increase in workplace violence and those sort of things. And so there is a lot of study, a lot of focus on uh, creating a safe workplace. It does play out in, you know, security and that kind of stuff. What I'm talking about is a little bit more of the, um, do I feel safe here to bring my full self, my full experiences? And when I do bring my full self and my full experiences, you're going to get a better version of me. Uh, and that that will not just be short-term and day-to-day interactions, but it's going to be longer-term commitment and longer-term interest, longer-term passion, that kind of stuff. And I do think it's something we need to spend more time on. Uh, are we allowing people to be vulnerable? Uh, obviously, there's a line that needs to be drawn. You know, we can't uh, there, there are things that are that are um, in the professional bucket, and there are things that are in the personal bucket, and we have to have a a, a line there. But I, I, it's not so much of a balance; it's a, it's a spectrum to me. You know, when, even when you talk about things like work life balance, it it's not. I don't think of it as a balance. I think it's a spectrum. Like there there are times where with kids, I I have a late night because someone's getting sick at home, um, and when I come into the office, that's the version of me that you're going to get. Uh, and that that's tough. You know, that that may mean that I'm not giving the best to my employer or to my clients that day. But if I'm in a safe environment, I can share that up front to say, you know, this was my uh, a version of my situation last night. Again, you may not need to know all the details, but you know that this is wh- what my priorities are and how I'm trying to contribute. And today it's going to be a little bit more limited. And But in a spectrum version of that, uh, there are other days where you're going to get the full attention of me and it's going to be great. But on the flip side at home, my, my kids or my, my spouse may not be getting the full version of me. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's a give or take in that regard. And I just want to make sure that when we're, we're creating teams, if we're not taking that into consideration, then we are blind to uh, the full contributions of the team, in my opinion, the full representation of our value and our impact. Um, and you can, you, 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 when you start to create a safe environment, you start to create much more collegiality. I think you start to see more focus too, even when things get tough in outside the workplace. And that's where I'm trying to go. And when I get into a crisis situation where it's not my team, I'm going into a client situation, I, st- I try to really very quickly assess what type of team environment am I in? Do people feel safe? If people feel safe, then we can start to ha- have more candid conversations that allow us to get to that acceptance quicker and find the solution faster and in a more meaningful way. If you do something really bad or really big that's, that is creating a problem, then the solution has to be equally big and equally bold or brave. You can't necessarily do that in, a, in, in an environment or a culture where you don't feel safe to come up with those ideas because then you're looking around that table and you're thinking all of these executives are doing a CYA right now, or they're thinking about the litigation, all very important things. But the reputational component to this is as important, I think, as to all those other factors. Well, well, I think um, uh, for all the gabbers that are listening out there that, that work in companies, I think a takeaway is have a meeting with executives and human resources and others and Talk about whether you should include some version of safe in your values. 
seriously. Um, and I totally get the difference between a, a safe emotional environment mm-hmm. and, and the connotations yeah. of safe that, that we sometimes historically think of, of just, of just violence and physically. But I totally hear you that we should be um, developing cultures at companies where people feel uh, emotionally safe to express themselves, to acknowledge when mistakes have been made or we have a problem. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say I, 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 I see it on your team. Again, I love it when I uh, send out an email and I get a response from your team saying, uh, hey, Jonathan, here's the five things you did wrong here. Um, so I, I feel like they feel safe to, uh, to tell me. So let me tell you what happened in this particular situation. Um, I eventually did uh, alert other colleagues to this burgeoning crisis. And Dan, you'll tell me if this was a safe environment. Um, just by coincidence, most of the colleagues that I needed to bring in were also men. And they, in this situation, I hear you that culture, the, the culture matters of an industry, a company, a region that you're in, and that we, we can't just paint a brush for all men. But in this situation, the men that were in the room um, had a very similar response. And the theme of uh, how they wanted to react was, let's figure out how to shut down this conversation online that is very negative about our, our company. Um, so what they, the eventual reaction was, we had people at our company who knew some of these users who were posting negatively, or at least at, at companies where these people were, reach out to them individually um, to try to see if that we could placate them, um, uh, do something differently and get them to stop talking badly about us, uh, uh, about us online. So once we as a company, as a person have acknowledged that we have a crisis on our hands, what should we be doing as next steps? You talked a little bit about moving to a, uh, uh, to an action, but could you kind of walk us through what, what we should be doing, what our initial steps should be after we acknowledge that there is a crisis happening? Yeah, I, I think the, it was, it's interesting how the, the, the group of men responded. Um, to me, it, it, it was a very stereotypical response based in a winning, losing proposition. And I think it's important to think about that. Um, I hear a lot in boardrooms, we're, we're winning or we're going to win. And I, I kind of like, it's a, it's an, it's a weird thing. Um, there's a, a really fascinating uh, business consultant speaker, Simon Simnek, who just came out with a book about finite and infinite games. And it, it talks about this concept of, you know, we've, we've been brought up to think about everything as finite in, in a finite game in the game theory of winning and losing and thinking about, you know, sports, right? We, 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 we've participated in sports and you know who's on the team, you know the rules, you know your competitor, and at the end of the game, you win or you lose. But in life, it's much more infinite and everything is more gray. You don't even know sometimes who you're playing against. You don't know the rules. Um, and in a crisis situation, you know, it's, it's more about, do you have the stamina to stay in the game that you're playing in the business environment, right? And if you file for bankruptcy, that means you're giving up. And does that mean you win or lose? I don't know. I mean, it depends on who's, who's playing the game and the rules of the game. I've, I, when I read this and I watched some of those things, it really resonated with me because I don't think in, in particularly in the situation you presented, it was necessarily about winning or losing. It was more about finding out what the problem was, diagnosing it, 
what do we learn from it? How do we grow? And exploring what our next steps were. Um, and I think that's like what actually rational people want to know. Uh, back to your question, you know, when I see a situation occur, uh, if you get to acceptance fast, you can then start to think about what rational people ask or what they want to know. They want to know what happened. And sometimes it's difficult to actually diagnose that. Um, when After they want to know what happened, they want to know when did you find out about it and what did you do when you Im immediately found out about it? They want to establish a timeline. That's just naturally what people do, right? What's, our, what's the timeline here? And if they start to see that you didn't do everything you could right away, then that's like the flag of where they're starting to say, is this kind of a sketchy response? Are they trying to hide something from me? Um, once you talk about the timeline, they want to know what did you do or, or what are you doing right now to fix it uh, after you found out about the problem? Um, and then I think th there's probably a lot of other questions that start to play out here, like who's responsible and those sorts of things, uh, which are important. Um, but most people want to know what are you doing to make sure this doesn't happen again? And what does it mean for me? What are you going to give me or what do I need to do? You can, if you can answer those questions or start to build the, the steps to communicate around those questions, I think you start to see um, uh, that you're building momentum. As you're talking, um, it made me think about how we can learn a lot from our workplace conversations and crisis situations, probably from the conversations that we have with our partners at home. Um, I know you would never do this, Dan, but I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who uh, maybe they were supposed to take out the trash. They didn't take out the trash. And then their husband or wife is like, question that you said, what happened? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you take out the trash? All right, let me explain that. Um, all right, what was the timeline? Did you go to, did you go to work and not have, have time to take out the trash? Um, uh, third, what are we going to do moving forward? Are we going to put a calendar invite? In, in, uh, in Dan's phone uh, to take out the trash. Uh, but there's no conversation with our husband or wife or partner about uh, winning or losing um, when it comes to taking out the trash or even our right. marriage or partnership. It's an it's interesting analogy because I think our emotional reaction is more of a win or lose. Right? You're, gonna, yeah. you're gonna win the argument with your partner. Well, to what end? Exactly. You know, do yeah. you feel better maybe for a second? Um, so I, I think it's a really interesting concept that I, I found fun to examine um, and see play out every day. And I remember feeling, I went through, so I went through, uh, I'm going through your, your steps. Um, I definitely went through denial. Mm -hmm. um, definitely had some bargaining. Definitely was very angry with myself mm -hmm. uh, and felt depressed. And I was so depressed because I thought I was going to be blamed. I went back to my desk and typed up notes um, about how I would resign. Mm -hmm. I, was that, um, uh, I, I was that angry at myself. And before ever using those talking points, um, I ran into the woman who was in the, the, the room for the debrief. And she said, I'm so glad that our company heard these complaints about the negotiations. Mm -hmm. If we hadn't seen these online posts, I don't think our company would have known that any of our customers uh, or third parties felt like uh, that our negotiation stance um, was, was hurting them or was in bad faith. Like we really learned from this situation. Great job, Jonathan, for bringing it to our attention. Mm -hmm. 
Like I did a good job here. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So, um, Dan, what are some of the questions that we should be asking ourselves after a crisis situation is over? Or what should we do after the situation is over and we're reflecting on it? It's a great, it, that's a great question. And I think it starts, um, you know, one of the most important parts of a good team is, is to do debriefs regularly, um, both in, in good situations and in bad situations. So there's a, con, a back to that continuous improvement approach. Are we regularly in analyzing? And, and particularly during a crisis or after a crisis, there needs to be a proper debrief. And I think that that debrief uh, needs to be set up in a way that's, again, safe. Uh, and it may happen over the course of a couple of debriefs, um, obviously for, well, for legal reasons, uh, for business reasons, those sorts of things, which are very important. But you really want to try and get people's full undivided attention and their perspective of what, what went wrong. And I think uh, a big piece to that before you get into it is to really truly listen and hear what your stakeholders think about the situation. So in your case, online was blowing up and you maybe not listen, you weren't listening and hearing what they were saying, but it sounded like your boss was. And maybe the group that was immediately responding wasn't listening or hearing. You were, you were quote unquote, engaging online, but you weren't. You were, you were in, engaging in monologue. And that's the beauty of social media is it is a place where you can have dialogue. Now there's a lot of just the, the worst parts of humanity in social media. But if you really listen and hear what they're saying, then that's so powerful. I don't know. Th this may be sounding way too kind of lovey-dovey and whatever, but I, I do think it shows the difference between a short-term thinking and a long-term thinking. And, and I, I encourage clients and organizations to be thinking about longer term because then you are thinking more about your value proposition uh, to stakeholders uh, for years and years, maybe decades, rather than just what's that what, how do we get back to that, that to where we were with our share price? Uh, or let's just fire a few people, that kind of thing. I'm glad you mentioned lovey-dovey because one of the reasons I started this podcast was because I truly believe that men can improve both personally and in the businesses we're in if we're a little more lovey-dovey. I know that how that sounds, but um, I do believe that if we can um, understand our emotions more if we can share our care and our love for those around us, including in a professional, in, including the, the care that we have for those um, that we work with, um, that we can improve personally and our businesses can improve. So sure. I appreciate you bringing yeah. it up. Well, and I, I translate it into just vulnerability. Yeah. And vulnerability is tied to trust and confidence. Um, you know, do I trust you? Uh, and am I confident in myself um, to be vulnerable? And I think this is something I'm learning a lot from my kids um, because they're incredibly vulnerable. Um, and I'm experiencing it more as I get older too, that as uh, I see family members pass away, friends pass away, um, and get a better understanding of you know, my roles in different uh, situations, personally and professionally, that when you're vulnerable, you can get more out of it. Uh, for yourself, and you can you can see others get more out of it from uh, a gr more group dynamic kind of situation. There's a time and a place for it, for sure. 
Um, and there's a lot of books written about this, um, but I, I, it goes back to that comment about being in a safe environment. If you're not in a safe environment, the likelihood that someone's going to be vulnerable is very low. The trust will be very low there. And it will take someone who's incredibly confident to break that. And um, so it's just, it is a big piece to this. And if you're really going to, in a crisis situation, you know, watching an executive on uh, the news be vulnerable and express, you know, regret and concern, if it's real, can go really far and be a very powerful um, pill or medication to the crisis. If it's fake or manipulated, people see right through it and they see it as just, you know, um, contrived and moving forward. I, I think I think many of us appreciate people being vulnerable. And always be vulnerable on this podcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Dan and I talk about how to communicate with partners about taking out the trash. No, seriously, I hope you enjoyed the conversation on how we can better respond to crises than we do today. The new year is a great time to set professional intentions. Based on this episode, I fully intend on cultivating a psychologically safe environment for colleagues to bring their ideas forward. I also want GuyGab to be a place where you can bring your ideas forward. Feel free to share feedback and topic ideas with me through GuyGab.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please press the subscribe button and rate the podcast. Remember to share your emotions with the people you care about. And of course, share this podcast. Talk to you in a week.